Welcome to the Columbia Church Sermon Podcast. We're so excited to share this weekend's message with you. We hope it encourages you, inspires you, and helps you grow in your faith as a whole life disciple. Enjoy the message. Hey, Laura. How are you doing today? I'm so excited to be at this table with you today, and I'm excited to be with everyone here. And, and those of you who are joining us, line, us online, welcome. Hey, Jennifer. It's so great to be here and with all of you. And isn't this been a really fun uh, sermon series we've been doing? Thank you to Dr. Jim for inviting us to be part of that. Uh, we've been talking about show places, and that's, that's been pretty interesting so far. Yeah, it's been great. We've talked about God showing up in the garden and, and God showing up in the wilderness, God showing up in the temple, and our God as a party God. What are we going to talk about? Hmm. The The table! table. (laughs) Well, uh, isn't this a beautiful table we get to sit at here this morning? It's just gorgeous, and we just want to thank Chase Brown for uh, hand-making this for us uh, this morning to be part of our conversation. Chase is right back here. Uh, He doesn't like to be called out, but he does some beautiful woodwork. He's the owner of Little City Woodworks here, and... uh, a worker in our student ministry, and we're just so thankful for you, Chase. And we understand this table is available uh, for sale if you are in need of a table yourself. So a uh, little shout out there. But um, so this, this is a beautiful table. That's right. It's super gorgeous. And I, I really love it a whole lot. But you know, in general, tables are like they're everywhere. This church has probably a thousand tables. You've got a table in your house. You've got tables in your workplace. What's so important about a table? Is it really a, a show place? Yeah, well, we've been saying that a show place is a place of interest, something that is known for its beauty or uh, for its excellence. And, and really, any place that God shows up would and certainly be the definition of a show place. Mm-hmm. And so we are learning that wherever and whenever and how God shows up tells us a lot about who God is and, and what that means for us as we're to show up for others in the name of Jesus. So as Christians, we would therefore say that a table really is important. And that's because God is showing up. And because God shows up, it is a show place. And the very presence of God takes something like an ordinary common table and makes it extraordinary because we are showing up. And it talks, and, and we think about that as whole life disciples that uh, when we make space at a table like this so that others uh, can come and meet God here. And we're learning and seeing that all throughout Genesis, through Revelation, God is consistently showing up at, at tables. And he's, he wants to come and meet us. He wants to come and eat with us. And he wants you to come and eat and dine with him, both literally and figuratively, as we'll talk today. And so throughout the Gospels, we're seeing where Jesus is showing up. He's showing up and he's, he's dining, he's uh, around tables, he's eating, he's drinking, and he's even telling parables um, involving uh, tables and involving a meal. And so we kind of got the idea that Jesus really loved eating with people. Well, he just really loved eating. So. Yeah, yeah, eating's great. I mean, who doesn't like eating, right? right. Fun fact. Did you know that adults have between 2,000 and 4,000 taste buds on their tongue? And the sensory cells in those taste buds are renewed once a week. 
That's good news. Yeah, yeah. Eating and enjoyment <laughs> of food must be important to God if he made us that way, right? And I, if you think through the Bible a little bit, you can see that Jesus eats and, and dines and talks about food in a lot of places. You know, let's look at some of those places. In John, he's eating with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. He's feeding the 5,000. He's also, um, you know, eating with people on the road to Emmaus, and he dines with Zacchaeus. There's actually over 1,200 times that the Bible refers to food, and, and many of those times God's showing up at a table in different ways. It might be an actual table, or he might make a field into a banquet like we see with the feeding of the 5,000. And sometimes even it's a simple fire pit like we see in the book of John. I sort of wondered, like, if people knew there was so much eating in the Bible, we might be more inclined to read it more often. Yeah. <laughs> but the Bible is not the only place that talks about food. We see food and uh, the importance of dining together and tabling together is integral uh, part of our society. It's everywhere. We, we see entire groups and organizations who are dedicated and devoted towards helping families have dinner together because it's so important. And we're not just talking about food assistance here. We're talking about countless sites that are helping families understand and elevate the importance of what is actually happening around a dinner table mm -hmm. and what they're doing together. And we all know uh, if you are in charge at all of, of the family cooking is as you are uh, can find endless website recipes for how to have uh, quick family uh, prepared meals because we're all living this very busy uh, life and, and being able to cook and serve food at home is, is a challenge. And so, but the, what we also have learned through a study that was done through Columbia University at the National Center of Addiction and Substance Control is that kids and teens who share family meals uh, three or more times a week are are less likely to be overweight. They are more likely to eat healthy food. They perform better academically. They are less likely to engage in risky uh, behaviors such as alcohol and drugs and sexual activity. And they have better relationships uh, with their, their parents. And so as we probably know from our own experiences just of being around the table, uh, uh, you might have in your memory like what your first date was like and where that took place. We know many business deals are, are uh, formed and solidified around lunch tables and uh, at any celebration that we might have, there's tables involved there, banquets and parties and the like. And so important things can happen around a table. And um, so Jen, how about you? Do you remember your first uh, date with Paul? Well. Not actually a date, but uh, I showed up at a college sm small group one day, and it just so happened that Paul was there, and they were going to go out to lunch after, after the group with, um, with, at the leader's home. And um, so I met Paul, and, and our relationship literally began, you know, around a table. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. awesome. What about you and Carlton? Yeah, similar kind of thing, sort of like we were introduced by mutual friends uh, in a, on a blind date, actually, and uh, that date occurred around a dinner table. And so 36 years later, here we are, and th 30 years for you 30 guys. Years so, for Paul and I. so mm -hmm. there you go, guys. Get a girl around the table. There you go. And. Um, that's, I really like these love stories and stuff, but, you know, let's, uh, <laughs> let's talk, let's uh, look in the Bible and, and look at some places where God shows up at the yeah. table. Let's do that. So last week, 
Uh, Chris and Kristen did a fantastic job introducing you to Levi, the tax collector, through the lens of the party. And today we want to take a slightly different look through the lens of Matthew and what it means to uh, meet Jesus around the table. Yeah, let's um, take a look at Matthew 9, 9 through 13. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have come to call the righteous. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So here we have Matthew telling his own story of how he met and began to follow Jesus. Matthew is on the job as a a customs official or a tax collector when Jesus comes walking uh, along the lake. We know that Matthew lived in Capernaum, and Capernaum was a very busy seaport where a lot of goods and services came across uh, the, the river, the lake. The, um, and so likely what was happening here is that Matthew was uh, one of many customs officials, and his job was to work on behalf of the Roman government, on behalf of Herod and Apeus. And so by the very nature of his business and, and the way that that was set up, we know that as tax collectors or customs officials, they were collecting taxes or tolls on behalf of the government. And then they would add to that their own personal tax, if you will. And that was um, a thing, a source of great contentions with the with the Pharisees and the Jewish society because they felt that the people like Matthew, who were Jews, had sold out to the Roman government and that were, in in essence, traitors, and that they were actually helping the very government that was oppressive to them and the enemies uh, for the the Jewish people. And not only were they helping the the Romans, but they were doing so in such a way that became very lucrative for them. They were lining their own pockets, and they were becoming very wealthy, further separating them from the Jewish society. So today we might think of some, but not all, like politicians or lobbyists or even Instagram influencers who use their influence and line their pockets um, with wealth, uh, promoting politics or policies or or products that don't necessarily help the well-being of people. So like it or not, Matthew and his co-workers were caught in an economic system that forced extortionism and from the people, their very own people. And the Pharisees had nothing to offer the Matthews of the world, except for a set of rules. And they were considered to be outcasts, sinners, and uh, someone to be shunned. So here comes along Jesus, and Jesus is inviting Matthew the sinner to come follow him, but not to come follow him to a set of rules, but to follow him to a new way of life. Yeah, and that new way of life was an upside-down, others-first kind of life, a life that was way different than the life that Matthew was currently living. As Matthew tells his story, we know this, this invitation to this radical new life was, was attractive to him. It was so attractive that he invited his friends and his colleagues to come over for a big dinner party 
to meet Jesus and the disciples. That night, Jesus became someone who was real to the wider circle of Matthew's family and friends. He was just not, no longer someone they'd heard about. He was no longer, you know, that guy who took our friend away from his tax collector duties. He was right there with them. He was living and he was breathing and he was talking to them. I mean, they could probably reach out and touch him if they wanted to. And that happened just through the simple act of dining together. They just came to the table and got to know one another. And when they dined together, a relationship began forming. The start of this new way of life began at an ordinary table at Matthew's home. And this new way of life was the start of something extraordinary. When, we, when Jesus shows up, how we respond really matters. Mm-hmm. The reaction by the Pharisees to Jesus' presence at the table with sinners is inevitable. The Pharisee point of view that Jesus was clearly in the wrong is, is evident by the question that they're asking Jesus and what that implies. The gathering of sinners would certainly involve a, a breach in the very technical scribal rules surrounding food and the gatherings of between the Jewish people and the Gentiles were the sinners considered unclean. And so when the Pharisees could only see people who could not or would not keep the rules, they really had nothing to offer. They became the enemies of the Pharisees, the enemies of the Jewish people, and they were to be shunned. And this really, this included Jesus. So how the Pharisees responded to Jesus is vastly different than how Matthew's response came through. For the Pharisees, their way of life was hyper-focused on following and uh, rules and obedience to the regulations that have been set forth to this point. The Pharisees offered a list of rules to be followed, and they passed judgment on anybody who would not keep these rules. So it's no secret that um, Jen and I were fitness gurus. And so we didn't have to tell you that, I know. But you just tell by looking at you us. You tell sure. by looking yeah, at us. Yeah. And, um, so, but we do love doing group fitness workouts, and uh, we love the energy of the group and the loud music and following all the instructions from the, the instructors on what to do next. And, and uh, one of the things is uh, we've, we just really found it to be a lot of fun, and, and we've consistently noticed how encouraging and inspiring these instructors are. And so, but, um, but with that, sometimes uh, when we show up, we, we recognize that even though they're inspiring us and they're encouraging us and they're helping us take the next step and, and celebrate what we've done, sometimes in the groups, we notice that not everybody is like following a, a Christian way of, of life, so to speak. And what we've had to learn is that we have to be careful in those situations because if we start to uh, expect or start to judge uh, a certain way, we can find ourselves outside those groups and not really able to connect with the people. And so what we learn from this story here of what Matthew is telling about the Pharisees is that uh, we see where Jesus is leaning in to the sinners and to those who are far from Jesus or might not be exactly cooperating the way he might have, have expected, but, but that he leans in. And so we have to be reminded that in certain situations that, 
that we're called to not judge, but to lean into those. And as a church, we need to be careful with that too, because we can make the same mistakes that the Pharisees will make. So Jesus never called us to judge those who were far from God, but he calls us to to love them, to go out of our way to serve them and to to meet their needs, to demonstrate God's love and hope uh, to this world. See, we're to judge one another in the form of holding each other accountable to this upside-down, others-first kind of way. That's what we're called to do so that, that we can live this new way of life that, that Jesus calls us to do. And so here we see in Matthew that he's recorded in his story, and he shows us what God is, is doing here, that Jesus shows up, and he shows us how we're supposed to respond in this others kind of way. As we read through the Gospels, we see Jesus eating with sinners all the time. And and we wondered, why? What's so important about a table? What's so important about a shared meal? And what we discovered is that sharing a meal is is a sign of intimacy. When you sit around a table, it's communal. And you get to relax a little bit and enjoy a meal together. You let your guard down. You connect. Your relationships are deepened. I mean, being invited to someone's home for dinner is a special thing. It's also an equalizer, too. Sitting face to face, we come as equals, and we're all sharing this common experience of humans. We need to eat, so we share it together. Sharing a meal is also a way to welcome the stranger, and it's also a way that we can serve those in need. So Jesus was inviting Matthew and his colleagues to this new way of life, not to a set of rules or to a program. However, the Pharisees were, uh, rather than applauding and celebrating the fact that, that people had come to Jesus and come to know Jesus, they were more concerned about their own righteousness and the righteousness of the others. And so here the Pharisees are left um, on the outside looking in, pointing fingers and grumbling about uh, broken rules. While Jesus was accepting an invitation to to eat good food with bad people. And truthfully, church, this is good news for all of us because we're all sinners saved by grace. And so we want to be in that place where Matthew was, where Jesus wants to come and dine with us and eat at our table. And so we're learning from Matthew is that when Jesus shows up, whether and how we respond in the ways of Jesus really matters. In the text, we see how Matthew responds to Jesus' call. I mean, it's, it's worth noting that we don't read about any negative reaction. And in fact, we don't read about any reaction at all. He just simply acts. And he doesn't treat the call of Jesus like just one more thing to do, like a box he can check. He just invites his friends to meet Jesus at dinner. Because eating always happens, Right. Let's not treat the call of Jesus like one more thing that we need to add on to our busy to-do list. We're God's people. And when we're at the table, God's there too. Now we have an opportunity. When we're at that table, it's an opportunity to nourish people physically and spiritually. And it's an opportunity, you know, to not only share food, but to also share ourselves. For the whole life disciple, tabling with people, it's, it's not what we do. It, it's just who we are. Yeah. We, we thought about, too, is like if you're a family, a, a parents, a parents uh, you might be thinking through your dinner times. And, and we understand that. It can be 
tabling can actually be pretty challenging if you're uh, a family with young kids and, and it can get chaotic, it can be noisy, you're busy, you're trying to get everybody herding cats all at the table and, and stuff. And I remember a story that Carlton's mom used to share about their growing up time where uh, she would... She would say when their kids were little, she would finally get to the table. She'd have a fork in one hand and a sponge in the other for the inevitable milk that was going to get spilled that night. But when we do the hard work of getting our families there and our, uh, around this table, the, the ordinary table is a place that, is a place that allows us to deepen bonds. It, it opens up space for conversation with our families where we can see one another and, and identities can be formed as we're discipling our children. You are in fact doing something very sacred. Yeah, but I get it. I mean, that daily push to get to the table, to prepare a meal, to get to, to figure out the schedules and, and just get there, it's all, you know, it's really a grind sometimes. And it doesn't feel all that special, and it certainly doesn't feel all that sacred or spiritual. Yeah. What was it's that hard. St- yeah. yeah. What it's, was that story you were telling me? Yeah, we were, when we were preparing and stuff, I was remembering uh, for our own family as, as uh, we grew up, Carlton and I, both in households where the family dinner table was important and as busy as, as our parents were, they made it a priority to have as many meals around the table as as was possible. And so that really was kind of our habit, too, as our kids were coming along. And as we were doing that with our kids and we were attempting to introduce to them the idea of how you pray and say grace before dinner, um, sometimes became a little bit of a, a challenge. And I don't, you know, your kids are probably uh, like our kids and, and sometimes didn't really want to, to pray. And so we try to figure out how to make that less chaotic. And so we did the very spiritual thing of creating a schedule Ooh, yeah, and uh, yeah. made assignments really for spiritual. whose turn it was going to be to pray on, on which nights. And so that solved actually a lot of chaos. And so everyone had their night. Carlton and I had our night. And, and they would take turns. And so when we'd sit down to, to dinner, we'd say, whose night is it to pray? And they knew by their schedule. But what <laughs> we found out of that um, as is that our kids learned how to pray, and, and now they're adults and, and living on their own, and, and uh, when they come to a meal, they know how to pray, and they're comfortable doing that. And, and what we've learned and, and observed is that they're actually very beautiful um, prayers. And so here at the dinner table, something so common uh, in our life, it becomes something that is very extraordinary because we learn together as a family uh, what is, uh, learn together how to welcome Jesus, and we learn our identity uh, around that, that table, and, um, and that's really a very powerful thing. Yeah, dining with those that you call family is a, is a great place to start. When we widen our circle to include neighbors or friends or colleagues, when we ask them to table with us at our home or, or maybe at a restaurant, we're inviting them to be seen and to be heard. But at the same time, we're also inviting them to see us and see our life and, and the difference that Jesus has made. When we share a meal, we're following the example of Jesus. So it could seem hard to you know, try and find opportunities where you could table with others. I mean, there's, everybody's busy. 
Yeah. You can think of a million excuses, you know, why you're not going to do it, and maybe my house isn't clean. Yeah, but I know that you have found a way to, to do that, to invite others to table with you without adding more things to your list. Yeah, I, I did find something that works for me. You know, I realized a while ago that tabling happens all the time, you know, whether I'm there or not. And I don't have to reinvent the wheel if I want to share a meal with somebody. You know, maybe there's something that's already going on that, that I can show up to and be a part of. Or maybe I'm doing something regularly that um, I can just invite um, some friends to join me. So, you know, I've been taking advantage of the Wednesday night dinner from Chef Jacob, who prepares it. And I really order it for my own good, right? <laughs> I, I don't have to cook. I get delicious food. My family is happy because they do get one good meal a week. <laughs> and, you know, it, it, I don't even have to hardly clean up. But one day I thought, hey, you know, maybe someone else in my neighborhood would like to make their Wednesday night dinner or make their Wednesday night just a little bit easier. And so I invited some neighbors. Hey, you want to order dinner with us and, and we'll eat it? And guess what? They, they came. And we've kept doing it. And now it's a highlight of the week. And it's not just because we share food, it's because we have great friends that now that we can share a meal with regularly. So you might be thinking, well, okay, that's great. You know, one, a few Wednesday night dinners in, in one neighborhood, is that going to change the world? Well, no, not necessarily, but it's changing our neighborhood. Hmm. Would a hundred people from this church that share a meal with someone change the world? It's a start. Yeah. That's a great start and a great story. There's another place that Jesus is uh, showing up and, and making the table important. For thousands of years, the Jews celebrated an annual Passover feast. This was the remembrance of, of their exodus out of slavery in Egypt and where God established this new covenant with his people at the time. It was a shared communal celebration where all were welcomed, and it was a place where their identity as God's people was formed and where their stories were shared as God's people and where faith was developed and, and passed on to the next generation. So Jesus is traveling back with his disciples to Jerusalem and preparing for the celebration of the annual Passover meal. The night that Jesus was to be handed over to be crucified, he was in the upper room with his disciples. And as Dr. Jim has taught us before, and as we're recalling today, Jesus had actually gathered his disciples on the day prior to the calendared celebration of the Passover. And at that very night, Jesus was the only Paschal lamb that was, being, was at the feast. And so when we celebrate the Lord's Supper here at church, as we're going to do in a few minutes, Jesus is still the Lamb of God. And his sacrifice is stripped away and, and removed all the barriers that has separated God from human beings. And he's issued a new covenant with his people in this supper. He's redefined our annual celebration of the Passover to become a daily, everyday kind of meal celebration and reminder of who we are. And we call that a Eucharist or a Thanksgiving feast. And when Jesus did that, 
He changed everything. Let's take a look at 1 Corinthians 11:23 through 26. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Because Jesus' way of life involves creating space at table and and inviting others, this morning we're going to first celebrate and remember together the Lord's Supper. And then as we go out today, we're going to encourage you to take this practice with you into your homes of remembering the Lord and remembering the covenant that Jesus has made with us and to open up your tables to others. And so in a, uh, the ushers and the deacons are going to come forward now and they're going to begin to pass around the bread and the juice. And as they're doing that, we're going to do something a little bit different and we're going to invite you to stand up and to uh, greet and, and welcome others who are around you. And uh, as you take your juice and your bread, just hold on to that. And when everybody's been served, we'll call everyone back together again. Those of you who are in the balcony, if you, uh, you have a table set for you, and as you're greeting one another, feel free to uh, serve yourselves, help yourselves there. And those of you who are joining with us online, now would be an excellent time for you to grab your juice and, and your bread and prepare to rejoin us in, in just a minute. So please stand and greet one another. Maybe ask each other, what is your favorite meal of the day? And uh, enjoy getting to know who's been sitting next to you all summer, summer long. Hey, guys.
So we invite you to rejoin us and to take your seat around the table. So on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he sat around a table like this with his disciples and he took the bread, the ordinary bread, and he did something extraordinary. He broke it and he gave thanks. And when he did this, he said to his disciples to take, to eat, and to do this in remembrance of me. This is my body broken for you. Then he took the cup and said, Take and drink, and do this in remembrance of me. In the breaking of the bread and the drinking of the cup, we're coming to proclaim and to remember and to celebrate the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we have celebrated the Lord's Supper together. We have remembered together. We have established the new covenant again today with Jesus in our Lord's Supper. And he is calling us to take the daily breaking of bread and the drinking of the cup out into our homes, the place where we're forming our identity together and we're telling our story of faith and proclaiming the reason for our hope and creating, while we're creating space around our tables, first for Jesus and then for others. Jesus, in turning an annual celebration into an everyday meal, invites his followers to table in remembrance of me until he comes again. In this new covenant, he's issued you and me an invitation to go and table with family and friends and to, to widen that circle to think of our tables as extensions of our church and as openings to our Christian family. So today we want to offer you, um, each family, some bread that you can take with you today. On your way out of service, you can pick it up. And we'd like it to serve as a reminder that you are invited to Christ's way of life. You're invited to create space at your table this week and in the weeks to come. So church, when you, when you God's people show up at the table and you make space for other, the ordinary table becomes extraordinary because God is here. The table becomes a showplace and that changes everything. Pastor Jim, would you close us in prayer? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for all good things in life. We thank you for this bread and for this cup and for the food on our tables every day. And we remember in Scripture that when you created us, you created a world to feed us. And, mm. and you said that some things that you had made were good for food, so your intention from the beginning was that we dine together. And we think about all the places in the Old Testament where where the sacred things uh, about your presence and your love were celebrated around tables, banquet tables, overflowing with abundance. And in fact, we we remember that the symbols of abundance involved grain and and wine, the things that 
people consumed that were not just luxuries but the staples of life. And Lord, when your son Jesus came to earth, he called his disciples together around a table and he gathered with them often. He, he fed people miraculously and, and in common ways. And he, he sat with all sorts of people in order to form relationships with them. And, and not only did he call his disciples and shepherd them and disciple them at, at tables, but on the night he was betrayed, he gathered with them at a banquet table. And he, he said to them, that he would not taste again of the fruit of the vine until he sat with them again at a massive banquet table that all of us someday will occupy in a new heaven and a new earth. And he, he told us, as we see in John's revelation, in chapter 3, we, we hear the words of Jesus calling out to us, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If you'll come and open the door, I'll come in and I'll dine with you and you with me. Jesus showed up at the table, and you show up at our tables, and you invite us to show up in such a way that we show up in your name to to include others and to love others. So, Lord, we should know that every table we dine at is sacred. That's why we give you thanks like this before we begin each meal. It's why we acknowledge that your providence is, is seen at the table. It's why we acknowledge that you're there, and we ask that you would make the tables not only of this church, but of our homes, sacred in such ways that every person who is included there knows about your love as we see it through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Lord, for all the tables that have shaped our lives through the years, from the time we were born until the time we'll leave this earth, for all the sacred opportunities to sit and dine with people we love and have opportunity to love, Bless us, Lord, as you bless our tables, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Now you go and ignite passion for Jesus Christ from from the the tables of Metro Washington to the world. Have a great week and let's eat. (laughs) Hey, thanks again for listening. If you live in the Metro DC area, we would love to worship with you at one of our weekend gatherings. For directions, service times, and information about all the incredible things happening at Columbia, go to ColumbiaBaptist.org. That's ColumbiaBaptist.org.